0: And this is different than anything, any clinic around. Workouts that are tailored for her, and that really makes a difference. Really personal. I've gotten way more mobile, stronger, flexible. Everything just improves me to the next level. Welcome to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast where we push sports performance and physical therapy to its apex. We change the game by bringing together the brightest minds in the field to offer best practices and question how things are done today. I'm your host, Mike Quintons, physical therapist and expert in sports orthopedics. I'm living my dream and open a clinic that unites all elements of sports medicine under one roof to drive recovery and performance outcomes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the On Cue Performance Podcast. This is Isabella, your podcast producer, and today we're bringing you a replay of one of our favorite episodes from Season 1. What's up guys? This is Mike Quintons, the host of the On Cue Performance Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Ken Clark, uh, the Associate Professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Westchester University right outside Philadelphia. Uh, you're involved with biomechanics. And you also, uh, motor learning as well. Yep. And so right now you're also teaching classes on running mechanics.
1: Doing research on running mechanics, absolutely. Awesome.
0: Yep. Awesome. And um, so Dr. Clark is an expert in the field of exercise phys, biomechanics as it pertains to the athlete and sprinter. Uh, He has authored countless research articles and is considered one of the leading minds in the field of sports medicine, having presented at the NFL Combine. That's right.
1: Two years ago, yep.
0: And you're a consultant, uh, or at least you have been a consultant, USA. Yeah, track USA and field?
1: Track and Field and Pre C Speed School and Altus, and to name a few. Yep. Yeah,
0: so this is uh, a little personal for me because Ken was uh, a coach of mine uh, and has been an inspiration for me uh, and, and my my experiences coming up. So uh, this is cool. We've worked together now recently, and we'll dive into that a little bit today. So uh, so how how we doing, Coach?
1: Great. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, really good opportunity to, uh, to be on this podcast and, and excited to, to be here uh, talking with you guys.
0: Awesome. Uh, it, it's our pleasure. Uh, so, okay, let's dive into this. Uh, tell us about your background, uh, where, kind of where you grew up, where you, what drove your passion for what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, something i like to talk about, uh, parents are from Philadelphia area. I was raised in Connecticut and grew up playing um, three sports, uh, football, hockey, baseball, narrowed that down to football, baseball, in high school, and then uh, uh, played small college football. Um, like every athlete out there was not as fast as I wanted to be or needed to be, so I had a, a lot of years of experience training for speed. Um, my dad was a, a biomedical researcher but also a high school football coach that worked with a lot of athletes on their speed, and so uh, I, I naturally became the guinea pig and um, it was great. I mean, I was doing plyometrics and overspeed at age nine. So it was, uh, it was trial by fire and, and developed a passion for it really early on. Um, and then uh, for anyone who knows what I look like, I, I don't really resemble Usain Bolt. So it was clear that Division three athletics were uh, the end of the road for me. And after that, I got into to coaching and uh, was a Division three grad assistant coach uh, for two years and, and then kind of moved more into the world of strength and conditioning. And um, really what what drove the passion for me was um, trying to uh, apply research and scientific principles to enhance um, sports performance. So I knew from the things that I had done, which were um, pretty advanced for their time in the 1990s, but I knew that the science was really emerging in this field and and that there were specific methodologies that could um, enhance an athlete's performance uh, effectively. And it just became interesting for me, both from a, a intellectual curiosity standpoint, but also from an applied performance standpoint, to be able to try to learn more about these methods um, and then apply them to the athletes that I was working with. So in um, 2008, uh, I went back for my master's degree at, at Westchester University. I, I had an undergrad degree in psychology because the school that I went to didn't have exercise science. Um, so psych is a great degree for this as well. But uh, did a master's in, in uh, Kines at Westchester and the research bug really bit me as I was doing my thesis. And so I um, decided to to pick up and move down to, to Dallas and the hated land of the cowboys and did five years down there uh, for my PhD in biomechanics. And that was a, specifically in sprint biomechanics uh, with uh, Dr. Peter Wayne and Dr. Larry Ryan. And um, that was an incredible uh, lab, the locomotive performance lab there at SMU. And then in 2015, um, had the opportunity to, to move back to take a, a, pro, a professor job, assistant professor in the Department of Kines at Westchester and jumped at that chance. And um, after my first year where I did no coaching there, uh, for the last four years, I've b- been involved with various teams, um, both in strength and conditioning and, and more specifically as a, a volunteer sp- um, sprints coach for the track team.
0: So. That's a lot of different hats. I'm fascinated by your, your desire to want to coach and teach tell me about that. Where does that come from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think as any good coach uh, realizes that the coaching is just teaching. And, and so really they're, they're one in the same. And and so probably the most enjoyable part of my job is that teaching motor learning and biomechanics in the classroom. And then, you know, going down the hill to work with athletes on the track, or whether it's with the summertime and working with athletes on the turf, um, literally motor learning and biomechanics is, you know, the art and science of coaching combined. And Frankly, speed development is that science applied. I mean, there's nothing more applied um, than motor learning and biomechanics when you're trying to to coach speed. Um, So uh, (laughs) I'll tell a real quick story. Actually, the the coolest moment of my teaching slash coaching career was when I was at Westchester and our conference champion triple jumper, who was also an exercise science student that I had in biomechanics did a really big jump and came back to me and said, Oh, coach, I must've put in 12 body weights of vertical force. in that last jump." like he was just totally nerding out. And this is a guy that was uh, the conference MVP for long and triple. So that was cool. Just kind of when you have athletes that you get to connect with in the classroom and then also on the track. And there, there's been more like that because a lot of the track athletes are, are exercise science students, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think that's probably the, the most um, enjoyable part of it is ca- kind of getting to see that, that crossover between classroom research and, and coaching. So. I think that's
0: important as an athlete, a uh, long, long time ago for myself, to understand the mechanics of what you're doing, why you're doing it, is extremely important. You do that. I've, you've coached me in the past years ago, but even recently I've been fortunate enough to work with somebody yep. uh, who's, who we worked together on through their sport speed and mobility and stuff. We'll dive into it. But you love to talk mechanics. You love to coach up on it. How do you feel like that helps?
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question, and it's a really interesting topic because I think it's a fine line you have to walk with with athletes. Um, You have to know what their learning style is. Some athletes relate more to the technical cues and the the knowledge, and then some of them really just want to know, like, what to do. Coach, just tell me what to do next to fix it. So it's really about, I think – Gauging your athlete, figuring out how they learn best, and then figuring out how much technical content to deliver to them as back, uh, you know, as background information, and that really is an individualized thing, um, and and so that's just something, and this is a good learn learn by experience type of thing. When I first uh, like started getting more educated and it was like learning my back uh, my masters. Um, I started giving these really long technical cues because I was so excited about all the information I was learning. And I had another coaching buddy pull me aside and say, Ken, you're confusing the heck out of your athletes. They have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) And so that's kind of when I got interested in motor learning as well, because I realized that that you have to know how to communicate what you know. But uh, back to your original question, you know, I think with with each athlete, there's kind of an optimal amount of, of technical background to give them. And you got to gauge what that is. And the bottom line is, you know, you need to give them enough information so that they can figure out how to make the correction. That's really what it comes down to. So
0: I, I like that a lot because I do the same thing sometimes. I talk way up here. Right. And uh, and it's important for them to uh, for the athlete to understand understand why they're doing it. Why are they pulling when they run? Why are they on their toes, you know, why are they lowering their center mass when they're changing direction? Um, So I I think that's, I think that's your spot on there. Um, The other, the other
1: comment I would make is um, I, I think one, one area I would like to think I've got better in is perhaps saying less when it comes to the actual cue as they're doing the movement or as you're correcting the movement, but perhaps saying more, as it relates to if you're doing drills, like maybe it's just an A march or an A skip or a wall drill as it relates to acceleration or top speed. But explaining more about how that drill transfers to the act of sprinting, for example. So not necessarily giving them more technical knowledge per se, but relating more. Well, this is why we're doing it and providing the context. So when it comes back to cueing them in the act, they know what you're referencing. To me, that's that's probably the most important area that I certainly wasn't always good at as a coach in my younger years that I'd like to think that I've gotten a little better at over the years. So Uh,
0: I think that relates to all fields of performance, but but even something as simple as physical therapy with your average Joe, uh, why are they doing a specific exercise? What is the purpose of it? How much information do we want to give them? You know, I think a uh, degree or not necessarily a degree, but background in psychology well, well said by you, important, huge piece of it. How much information is necessary for them to get the idea of what they need to do?
1: right, yeah, absolutely. so um, it's interesting, and you know, like all of us, I'm still learning every day what, what works best for each individual athlete or client so
0: I, Amen. so I want to dive into uh briefly the NFL combine. I'm dying to know uh, I, we haven't talked about this yet <laughs> no that's I w- true. I want to know about the NFL combine and then uh, and even like the, the USA track and field stuff that you're doing?
1: So I've been lucky to have some really good mentors who then um, have really paved the way as far as connections go. So uh, I'll start actually with USA Track and Field. So when I finished my PhD in uh, 2014 and I was in the, the SME lab for another year doing a postdoc, um, my uh, advisor, Dr. Peter and there, had some pretty good connections with USA Track and Field um, because of the research he's done. And so they were looking for uh, a relatively younger biomechanist, and I was 35 at the time, to basically um, go on the road with their uh, the quote unquote traveling roadshow, uh, with it to apprentice with Dr. Ralph Mann and do some of the on track uh, performance analyses with the elite performance program, which is the basically the Olympic level sprinters and hurdlers. And so, I mean, Dr. Wayne, my advisor was more certainly more qualified. He was 20 years my senior. But, you know, at that point in his life, he, he didn't want to be traveling that much. And so I was kind of the natural fit for him to, to put my name forward. And I'm certainly grateful that he did. So I've been doing that since 2016. And um, so uh, although that may change in the post-COVID world, <laughs> as with everything, what we've done to date is go on to various sites, um, uh, the elite uh, sprint and hurdle groups around the country. We actually um, take uh, high-tech video cameras and computer systems. And um, essentially overlay a biomechanical model, uh, a video stick figure, if you will, on top of their form. And essentially it helps you give them um, coaching cues for how to fix their performance compared to this technical model. So it's a again, it's, it's a really neat uh, association of biomechanics, motor learning and athletic performance, because you're, you're taking their performance, you're overlaying a biomechanical model, but then you have to give them the right motor learning cues to get them to be able to make a technical correction. Um, also, the athletes are just incredible. I mean, it comes back to the, the old saying, if you want to be an Olympian, you better choose your parents wisely, because I mean, from a genetic standpoint, these people are on the ends of the spectrum. Um, as far as the NFL Combine goes, so again, uh, well, this, this kind of comes back to my own background. We all have our own with the people who coached and mentored us. So before this entire performance training industry blew up, back in the 1990s, there was Bill Parisi and Parisi Speed School. And when I was 16 or 17 and in high school, and my dad was trying to get me faster with a coach, he drove me down from Connecticut to the Parisi Speed School. There was only one. Now there's like, I don't know, 100 nationally, and paid for an individual session with Bill. And this was before all this blew up. And um, I trained with Bill when I was like 16 or 17. And I mean, that also just kind of sparked my, my passion. So now you fast forward it 23 years later, and I'm, I'm doing some consulting for Bill and the Parise Speed School and everything comes full circle. But so Bill was actually my connection to the NFL Combine. So we we reestablished connection five years or so ago. And, uh, there's just, you know, just kind of a mutual bond just like there is here because you, you relate to the, you know, the people that coached you or that were influential in your life or whatever. And so that's actually how that happened. So Bill set that up because he's, um, very involved with the professional football strength coaches association. So he, he basically, uh, networked me into talk and it was incredible. I mean, there is, I was certainly only one of like 10 speakers that day, but there's some, some really great minds in the field. Um, had some really good networking with some of the coaches afterwards. Some of them already knew like the Eagles guys were there and that sort of thing. But, but yeah, it was great. Just talked about, I mean, what I love to talk about just speed training and how to work in speed training within the context of like a NFL, uh, practice and season
0: strength, conditioning coaches, performance coaches, uh, performance coaches.
1: It actually wasn't too much of the sports med side of things. They were, they kind of have their own things going on but I, I'm hopeful that those networking connections will you know kind of blossom from there in the future that's for sure so
0: that's awesome yeah. and so in uh, real quick back to USA track and field uh, cues verbal cues what what else what other uh, are what else we offering then so I, I, yeah I, I'm, really, I'm kind of curious no
1: I, absolutely I mean I, I think there's there's verbal cues to a large degree but then there's also you know if you look at uh, some real nerdy motor learning theory here uh, uh you know dynamic systems approach, a constraints based approach, where you're doing, which is just a fancy way of saying, hey, maybe we're just doing, you know, some mini hurdles to work on stride length or or top speed mechanics. Um, literally, it could be as simple as like holding your hand over the top of their foot to make sure that it, it recovers in a in a proper manner. Um, that that sort of thing. So so yeah, it's it's some of it's pretty high tech, and then other aspects of it is nothing more than good good coaching. But
0: isn't it nice when it's just something that simple? Yeah. Literally just pick your foot up to this point and that, slap it straight it. down. Yeah. They have the sk- they have the skills to do it. Yeah. Just giving them the cues. That's fascinating. That, that's
1: right. And sometimes it's it's incredible to see it's incredible to see both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes you can see a really elite athlete that has trouble making a, a minor change and then on other times you see an athlete that can make an you know an incredible change really quickly. So
0: it's uh, a great point. I, I, I had a player, I'm not gonna give too much detail here, from the Canadian Football League come in here. And I had him do uh, lunges, lateral lunges, reverse lunges, forward lunges, and then come back into a, a standing position with on one leg. Uh, so the lunge leg would then come up into a march position all over the place, like leaning on the lunge, lo- losing his bounce at the top of it. Uh, I told him what he was doing wrong and that he wasn't using his glutes properly, like stabilizing at the top. That's why he was losing his bounce and so forth. Had him do it again. Nailed it. Like, like like I never like he never did it before like right but never did it before to perfection yeah and I was like that's why yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: that, it. that's right it's very satisfying when it when it clicks like that right when they're able to fix it
0: so yeah, and 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 they have the, the skill set <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the guy given ability and the parents I guess right the yeah genetics that, that's right <laughs> to do it so
1: <laughs> absolutely I, so I,
0: I'm, I'm really interested in, to uh, to share some of uh, what we're passionate about right now and working with uh, we'll call him client B and we've had uh, you know, some quick background on this young man, please jump in, um, is, uh, you know, collegiate football player, uh, history of some injuries, and um, Dr. Clark had been working with him uh, in the past, and, you know, one or two things that come up in terms of injuries, uh, not to give too too much detail, but essentially he reached out to me, said, hey, take a look at him, let me know what you think. Camp's in a few weeks. This has been a little more than a year ago now, or about a year ago, actually. Yeah. And... Had some had some success, I'd say. Had great,
1: a, great success. Yeah,
0: had a great year. And uh, and I've known this young man since uh, you know practically grew up together. Uh, our families are close, and and uh, and so forth. So, um, what 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 other background information and then we can? Yeah, dive I into mean, some I, I think
1: the the most interesting thing from my standpoint was last summer. I mean, the initial motivation for I think the collaboration with you was that was a there was a, an overuse injury or nagging injury that we needed to have you take a look at him. For that, um, I was so pleased with number one. He, was, through work with you, he was able to get over that injury in a really quick amount of time. Number two, we never actually stopped training, except for maybe like a few days. We were able just, you know, with your guidance to train around it, which was probably the best thing. And then number three, it became clear to me from your evaluation uh, and the first time we were kind of talking, as it related to the injury, but just overall. That for this this summer currently that that was something that we needed to do from from day one and so it was I think great for this individual athlete and I think it, it hit on um, a bigger topic that I feel really passionate about um, that relates to this specific um, this specific client but but moreover in the field and and that that is the collaboration of physical therapists and strength and conditioning coaches, and for that matter, occupational therapists when the, when the time is right, depending on who the, the client, patient, or athlete is. But for this specific case, the client. And what I see in my role as, as a professor at, at Westchester is just we have um, students who are pre-physical therapy or pre-exercise specialist or pre-occupational therapy, and there's a lot of silos, essentially, and they're not sure as an undergraduate student how those fields are going to overlap or if they overlap or if they should overlap. And I'm sitting here now with 15 years of experience and basically thinking if you're a strength and conditioning coach and you don't have some physical therapist that you can, you know, uh, basically network with, if, if you need a different perspective on or collaborate with, that's a, that's a problem. And in my mind, that's definitely where the, where the field is going is that, I mean, the, the best strength and conditioning coaches know, what they don't know and are happy to refer, and I love referring to Mike and saying, "Okay, I I don't know about this. You need to evaluate it for this and give me your
0: input." And it's flattering yeah. when. So when this all happened, you had asked me like, "Okay, so we wanted, what do we do about training?" Right. And I was like, "He he can still train. Like there's things he can do. Um, not broken. There's just things that and, so Dr. Clark asked me he was like, "All right, so." What what can we do? And I'm like, you want me to tell you what? Like, you want my opinion? But uh, and I agree with everything you said, especially for PTs. The best thing about PTs is when they know what they don't know. So at the time, I was working somewhere else, and this kind of really spiraled into what we have now. And you know, we got a great strength and conditioning coach on this side of things, and the I, the concept was okay. I'm not a strength and conditioning coach. I, I, I got to work with somebody who does know what they're doing there. So uh, the same thing goes. You can go to clinics across the country and PTs are trying to do strength conditioning. Right. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say none of them should be doing any of it. Uh, what are the resources that you have? And if you don't, why don't you get those resources and and use them? But we, don't, we aren't trained in programming. The number one complaint for PTs coming out of school is that they aren't taught enough therax therapeutic exercise. Not much less programming, much less exercises. Much less, you know, we know how to activate muscles, and we. There's, that's a great spectrum, but you know, not to dive too deep into the weeds here. What PTs need, strength and conditioning coaches for programming and for the resources and the equipment, nonetheless.
1: Yeah, and and you know, on the flip side of that coin, I mean, the, the strength coaches need pts and, and atcs essentially for everything else i mean if there's any restrictions if there's anything that the athlete shouldn't be doing and i mean what i've liked about our programming um so far with with this client is that i mean literally every phase we've been putting our heads together and it's it's i mean truly been a collaborative effort uh and, and i feel like you know the movement quality overall is as much improved and um, knock on wood, zero <laughs> zero training injuries. I always hate saying that because I'm a very superstitious <laughs> person, but 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 incredibly healthy uh, this summer and and you know performing at a high level. And and I, I mean ultimately that's the that's the way it should work. And I, I think that's really the where all of these models should be going. I mean, whether it's a private sector model, certainly in any sort of school setting, you know, whether it's athletic trainer and the strength and conditioning coaches, I mean, the right hand absolutely has to know what the left hand is, is doing both in general and for specific athletes.
0: So, so dive into that a little bit and um, I'm more so curious about the model, right? So you've, you've, I mean, so you've been the lead. There's no doubt about that, but when it comes to programming, um, communication. That, yeah, I mean, that
1: absolutely. I mean, I've been blessed to work with some great um, athletic trainers at Westchester because Westchester has got a, a, just a super strong sports medicine program. And so whether it's just the, the faculty member there, faculty members there that I collaborate with or specifically um, our master's students in sports medicine who are who serve as the athletic trainers hands on for the, the sports teams there. So we've had some some great athletic training uh, master's students who are athletic trainers for the track team. That's for example. Awesome. That is so. Cool. And so and it's it's cool. Like um, both of the athletic trainers the last two years like have been students in my grad motor learning class. So you get to know them. In a lot of different contexts. But I think where the overlap you see that the most is like, uh, for example, uh, you know, if there's a hamstring strain, and, and we've been lucky, and I think we've been smart as far as our warm up and other things go, we haven't had many, but you know, it's track, it, it happens. And so when an athlete is coming back from a hamstring strain, I mean, that communication is so key, just the way it was with our client last summer typically there's things that the person can be doing sooner rather than later. You're not going to bring them back and put them in an open 100 in a meet two weeks later, but they can be on the ground doing some ground-based things at various degrees of intensity. It just needs to be that the coach and the athletic trainer have a direct line of communication and are on the same page. And that the athlete is also clearly in that triangle of communication so that everyone knows what's expected And everyone's kind of on the same wavelength when that athlete hits the, hits the ground running pun intended. So um, I think that's been the most, um, that's been the most uh, uh, beneficial thing that I've seen out of those types of relationships. I I should give a a shout out here to uh, head, head track coach, Jason Kilgore, who's a friend and a colleague of mine who does a really great job of uh, networking with the athletic training staff at at Westchester.
0: So. So what else does that coach do? That's great. In your opinion, I, I, we don't, I'm curious. So you said communicate. Yeah, uh,
1: I, I mean, there's certainly daily communications with the athletic training staff. You know, as a whole, and and I think just with the the athletes individually, our, our entire coaching staff. I would like to think we've got good lines of communication with the the athletic training, uh, with the athletes and the athletic training staff. I, I mean, that's the core of any good athletic program
0: in any capacity, right? Is, is It's communication. communication. Yeah. So how about trust? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, core values just the way any other program does that our, our athletes need to memorize them. They're in the team handbook and yeah, I mean, trust right up there, attention to detail. So, yeah. uh, don't put me on the spot and make me rattle them all <laughs> no, off yeah. right now, but <laughs> I'm also curious about, yeah. so
0: I think a lot of that relationship has to do with that, that you trust the athletic trainer. Um, or the PT, or yep. you may be working with, with that specific team or athlete, that they're going to do the right thing, that they're invested in that athlete's uh, optimal performance, recovery, etc.
1: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And I'll bring it back to the specific client that we've been talking about last summer and this summer. Um, and, you know, you've known that client for your life. I've been working with that client for four years. So there's a lot of trust there. But uh, one of the things that had to develop... Um, you know, sometimes I love football. We're both ex-football guys, but with the football mentality is this toughness that comes with it and not wanting to tell anybody when you're feeling hurt or when something's bothering you, which is great when you're on the field. You do need to be tough, but when you're in a performance training environment, if you start to feel a little tweak or something, well, I needed that athlete, that client to trust me and be able to tell me, and I wasn't going to think he was, you know, being weak for, for telling me so that we could tone things down or stop or anything that's, that, you know, if, if anything was irritating it. So so I think in that sense, trust and, and communication between athlete client and, and coach or physical therapist is, is huge. Um, and if, if that doesn't exist, obviously that's going to raise some, some barriers that, that don't necessarily need to be there. So.
0: Every message I would get from, from you, Dr. Clark, would always include how Brian felt that day, how we performed, but any, any resistance I may get from Brian when he comes in, uh, you know, it's like, you're going to see Brian today. There's a chance that he, you know, he may complain about this pain, but there's probably a better chance. He's not going to say anything about it. So like dive into it a little bit, but I'm just giving you a heads up. He's not limited and he's blah, 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 but uh, pretty interesting.
1: There's been, yeah, there's been, uh, there's been really good communication between the, between the three of us, I think. So uh, that, that's been, that's been a real, that's been a real key.
0: Yeah, I I agree. So uh, I want to get into the fields of this. So you have students that, like you said, are OT, P, pre-PT, athletic training and, and so forth, exercise, phys. So tell me about the barriers that you f- may see or that uh, maybe are just beginning uh, even at that level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there, there are several challenges and um, for the audience's uh Context here, so Mike was, was good enough to come and, and speak to our exercise science club last year, and kind of spoke about uh, you know barriers to entry into the field and that sort of thing. I, I think number one is just so competitive. I mean, there's a lot of really smart students who want to be physical therapists because it's a great field. And so for our undergrads, you know, we we tell them right away, like, look, you just got to make sure you're you know really putting your nose to the grindstone, uh, nose to the grindstone on the books. Um, but I, I think more generally speaking it's getting experience and it's it's just that catch 22 you can't get exp- you can't get hired because you don't have experience but how do you get experience until you get hired type of deal and it's really tough especially for and correct me if i'm wrong here but for most ptot places like you're physically not allowed to put your hands on a patient and, until you have uh, certification or, or have completed school right yeah, so that's it's correct. a little different for um, strength and conditioning coaches, but um, where you can intern and be a little bit more hands on. So I think that's the number one challenge. Um, for example, we strongly recommend that our students get involved with things like uh, the Westchester Adapted Physical Education Program, which is uh, run by Dr. Monica Lapore, And that's a really good way for them to kind of get some experience working with people, albeit not hands on, you know, like in a physical therapy clinic. But that's the number one thing I think is. Um, Everybody's, a, we're all movement coaches, and that's kind of a cliched line, right? But whether you're a physical therapist, occupational therapist, strength and conditioning coach, or a parent trying to teach your three year old kid how to ride a bike, like we're all movement coaches. And so just figuring, you know, getting experience doing that in any capacity and getting better at cueing, at coaching movement is, is really the, the biggest challenge.
0: So uh, absolutely. I think PTs claim, uh, maybe we are, I don't know. Movement experts, the experts in, in movement. Right. But you can't tell me a biomechanics, (laughs) you know, degree, someone with that master's degree or doctorate degree isn't, isn't an expert in in movement. Right. So I think, I think you're exactly right. It comes down to experience. How do they get this experience? Like you said, they have to, they have to go out there and find it really. They have to seek it. And I think people are maybe afraid to, or maybe they get a taste of it and they're like, okay, every PT place is like this or every gym is like this. Um, so I think education, then, right? Um, so and, that, and that's that's what you do, and you have the opportunity to yep. influence these minds.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, education is certainly the the first piece, and and then I think, um, you know, education. Then, like you just said, being being aggressive, really, and you know, not to get too cliche or on a soapbox or anything, but I mean, the world doesn't come to you. You got to go seek out the different experiences that you want to having, um, you know, have under your belt and figure out what you like to do and, and then, you know, get some hands-on activity with that.
0: Yeah. Great point. I think if we can put together a world where they have the resources, right. And talking to your professors and so forth is a way to get the resources, uh, in the right place. So, uh, with, with that said, getting these, uh, young, young minds together and working together is, do you guys have any programs where, like, you get like the PTs to work with exercise, uh, science majors, et cetera? So
1: yes and no. So within the department of kinesiology, we we do have four concentrations. Um, so so, so they are all are in the same classes. So pre PT, OT, exercise specialists, and and pre chiros are fourth. And so so in that sense, they're all in the same classes. On the other hand, we also have a great sports med department, which basically students are going to be ATs and there's not as much overlap, perhaps, between kinesiology and sports med as, as one would perhaps think, given that we're in the same building um, and they're both great departments. It's just that's just kind of the way it goes. But um, no, I think that's a that's a room for potentially, you know, where where I think there's growth, not just at, at Westchester, which I love, and you know, which I love our programs, but I think just nationally, globally, is just getting. Students uh, from you know different areas more involved perhaps at at an undergrad level or not exactly sure how this could be done but but seeing more um, live action examples of physical therapists and strength and conditioning coaches working together in the real world and your facility is a great example of that where you've got PTs and and CSCSs working under the same roof and dealing with with the same clients and that sort of interaction I mean I think about our Case example with our, our client is kind of like a, a perfect example. So so bringing that to life, I think, it would, is a good educational goal. So.
0: With, without a doubt. Is there anything in particular that you think, with um, in our case example, uh, aside from the communication, that you think was absolutely key to uh, client B success?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, really just the initial... Well, the thing that opened my eyes was the evaluation that you did actually at the time of overuse injury last summer, Um, and frankly, me putting aside, uh, I, I would like to think I don't have much of an ego, but me putting aside my ego and going, holy smokes, there's this whole host of other things that we have not been looking at that need to be looked at and potentially remedied, and basically saying, okay, well, we were halfway through last summer, let's get them healthy first, and... And work in some of these other things in the remaining six weeks that we had, but then, I mean, it was first on my to-do list this April when we started training again was to say, okay, you know, that this full evaluation, you know, of movements with all of the the screens and tests that you guys did, and then trying to work that into the to the frankly the, the strength training program that they're doing and having you know, giving you room to operate with three to four exercises on each day that potentially were addressing movement deficiencies or corrections that needed to be made. So I, I think that's the best thing about it is is doing, you know, um, the evaluation beforehand, I think, has really been, uh, and then building off of that has been the, the most key thing. Well,
0: and, and that's where we get from a PT perspective. We're getting buy-in from that at that point, right, from from, from the athlete. But we're also – getting knowledge, right? So, so now we know what direction we want to go and when and how, but I'll, I'll flip the script and your ability to adapt your programming based on what I found and what my recommendations were uh, in terms of his exercises, stretches, what we need to work on, you would adapt frequently on. Okay, you did this today with them. All right, I'm going to do this with him this time. Yeah, day.
1: everything's got to be fluid. The the last little piece I'll say because this is actually ties it almost back into speed training in particular and and like technical models for coaching, which is one of the, my favorite things to talk about. Technical models are you know certainly great, and you need to have them. I mean, if you're coaching a movement and you don't have some form of technical model that you're coaching to, well, then you're not coaching it, right? I mean, you got to know what you're. Trying to teach the athlete how to move. With that being said, there's got to be some individual variability because not all athletes can, you know, probably fit the same identical model. And and likewise, more important and more specific to what we're talking about, if an athlete has a, a individual constraint, if they have a strength deficit or a range of motion deficit or whatever the case may be, they're not going to be able to fit that technical model. And so you either need to adjust what you're asking them to do, which is one option, you certainly can do that, or you got to get with the physical therapist, athletic trainer, and get them to be able to move that way so that they can then fit the technical model a little bit better. And and in reality, the truth is is probably somewhere in between. But that that to me is one also really key application. That sometimes we talk about with like USATF, like if an athlete can't fit the technical model, we talked to the sports med team we we're like, well, is there something specific that they can't do from a movement screening standpoint? You know, we can coach it six ways from Sunday, but if, I'm not sure if that's the phrase we can coach it. it is now. We can, <laughs> we can coach it all we want, but if they have a movement constraint an organismic physical constraint, it doesn't matter how, how much they know what they're supposed to do or how much we coach it. They're not going to be able to change it. So that's the other, I think really key key part of it. So
0: do you I mean, think, a movement screening should be done, maybe like a maybe bare bones screening or maybe beyond that specific to a sport for every collegiate athlete or every high school athlete. What are your, th- what are your thoughts? That's just something I've ran my mind through a million times and how that can be, for, for, I guess, forget the logistics for a second. Yeah, right? that's, that's, what that's what my, that's what my I head know, was initially going to. I know, yeah. but um, and I, in an ideal
1: world. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in an ideal world, um, you're doing a movement screen of some sort for every athlete. And I'll give one more shout out here, uh, my buddy Corey Wall, who was the uh, director of strength and conditioning at Haverford College and now is at University of Pennsylvania, is, is head of performance there. Um, so when he was at Haverford, and I know he's starting to do this at, at Penn, he's only in his first full year. They would screen every varsity team sport athlete, uh, and, and he would collaborate with the athletic training staff and his strength and conditioning staff and every athlete. And that's a lot, even at a division three school sure like Haverford, before they, at the beginning of the year. And so even for, especially for incoming freshmen, if they weren't, you know, if they couldn't body weight squat appropriately, they were going to be doing something other than back squat, for example. But they did that all the way through and they, you know, had uh, movement vitamins they called, it, which is basically just prehab and rehab exercises. But yeah, it's a, it's, I think, not only a good idea. I mean, I've seen it done in action, not, not by me, but I've seen other people do it really well in the collegiate setting. And and I mean, when you, it is a logistical challenge, there's no doubt. But that's, that's where it comes back to this exact conversation. If it's just the strength and conditioning staff, a, you're probably not going to be able to get it done logistically. And B is that really the the people you want? Look, I mean, with all due respect to all those great strength coaches out there, which you know I'm, I'm in that strength coaching network. But I mean, what you really want is your sports med and your strength and conditioning staff doing those screenings collectively, and then you can come up with kind of a good good prescription for what these athletes should
0: be doing. So. I does it come back to quali- I think it comes back to qualifications with some of it too. So as a PT, uh, there have been times I'm guilty of it of I'm. I'm doing sports performance with an athlete, uh, and especially when I wasn't here. I was in a different place. I did not have the resources. And the question I had asked myself at this point, had a, kind of like an, an epiphany, is do I have the qualifications or are these my best qualifications right. for this for this individual? Am I, how Can someone else do this better than me that I can reach out to?
1: I'm all about that. I mean, I can do the FMS, but there's a lot of better people than me when it comes to doing screens for athletes. So I'm all about referring out.
0: How how do we get minds to think that way? How how can you, how can you yourself, and maybe this is some deeper thought here and you know, but uh, for me, I'll answer first while you're thinking about it, but how, how can you help younger minds think that way? For me, it's, I have to educate the people who do come in the shadow Anyone who's called the shadow or hang out or get an internship hours, I, we haven't turned anyone away. I mean, right. If, whether it's a one day or you want a handful of hours, as long as we don't have too many people in here and we're all wearing masks right now, right? Then, then right. I, I'm fi- I'm fine with it. Yeah. But I, that's an opportunity for me to educate them on. Okay, here are my qualifications. I got strength and conditioning over there. Right. I let you know I'm gonna let Jordan handle that or my, whoever my. I, I, I think is.
1: it's really a mindset um, change as opposed to. You know, people potentially feeling like if they don't know the answer or they're not qualified to do something themselves, that that's a weakness per se, when really I think in my opinion, I know you would feel similarly, that if you don't know or maybe you're qualified but you're not as qualified as someone in your network, I mean, it's not a weakness to refer them to somebody else, it's it's a strength because ultimately you're doing better by your client, uh, athlete, or, or patient. I mean for our specific client that we've been talking about, well, I could have, you know, thrown some darts at the dartboard and maybe come up right once or twice about what, you know, what was going right or wrong last summer. But why would I do that when I can just say, Mike, I need you to, you know, you're way more qualified than I am to do this evaluation and tell me what's going on. And, and ultimately that, that turns out past. So I, I think it's just kind of a mindset shift and and saying, Hey, there's strength and saying, you know, I, what you don't know or who's better qualified than you for, or something especially if it's not like in your direct wheelhouse so
0: so when we were putting this program together for a client B uh, I shouldn't say we it was Dr. Clark put a majority of it together he Dr. Clark would send me the program and highlighted you know two lines in yellow for each day and they were either like a mobility core concept but it was something like maybe a little bit more pt oriented but really geared towards what what Brian's deficits were that we wanted to work on that day, but they were always a progression from month to month. It was actually really cool to see uh, Dr. Clark kind of program through all this. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I want to dive into that real quick in terms of, um, you know, how how true you feel about this is that you even asked me to contribute to your programming. I mean, that's awesome. Not just take a look at him and do your thing and send him back to me. No, absolutely. I mean, day to day, we're communicating because he's in speed the same day. He's working with, you know, uh, the lifting in here and then I'm working on him and and so forth. So,
1: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's been great. Um, You know, I'd be lying if I said it, it it just wasn't to my benefit. (laughs) I mean, part of it is because I, you know, I, I respect your knowledge and trust that that's what's best for Brian. But, you know, it's also, it's just, it's, it's good to you know, more knowledgeable sets of eyes are are better for ultimately for the patient, athlete, or client. So
0: yeah, absolutely. So um, I I, I kind of want to bring this full yeah. circle then, right? So uh, what what we can be doing better then is educating uh, young minds, experience, resources, um. How about the ones who have been around for a while? Uh, what, what do you think? Should we like tap into resources? What what can we do differently?
1: Wow, that's a really great question. I think um, you know, just con- it's so cliche, but trying to get out of one's safe zone every now and then, out of one's wheelhouse, and and looking at things from a from a different perspective, or um, trying to dive into an area of knowledge that uh, perhaps one has avoided. Um, this happened recently for me, putting together a piece of educational content You And I talked about this as well. And, um, you know, there was 80% of it was right in my wheelhouse and 20% of it was an area that, uh, I, I knew kind of, and probably should have known a little better. And I, at first I was a little tentative and I was like, well, I'm not sure if I really want to go in this area. It's not what I know. And then ultimately, I realized that that was best for the content. I was like, "Well, I guess I'm just gonna have to suck it up and really dive into the literature here." And so sometimes, I mean, it's uh, you know, sometimes it's not comfortable, but that's really what it takes is just to you know push oneself outside the, the comfort you know limits or boundaries. And and then afterwards, again, it just it puts you in a position of, of strength. Knowledge is power, and so afterwards, you, you know, you feel you feel better about it. So um, yeah, I think for those of us who are. And I wouldn't call us old heads by any stretch, but you know, gaining an experience, something like that, just continuing to have, um, continuing to, to go outside of our current knowledge areas, and, and just
0: continuing to learn. That's really all it comes. Yeah, to there's a to, saying so. uh, I think of something like this that I'm absolutely in love with: get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. No doubt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's exactly what you you just pretty much just said there. Uh, there are journal article groups out there that meet you know, weekly, monthly. I know that, uh, in, in Philadelphia I have like sports medicine and, and, uh, performance come together for journal articles. I think that those are great resources that people need to look up, tap into Re- network. Yep. I mean, it's really simple as networking, um, LinkedIn. I mean, it, all
1: those things are, are great. And then, um, you know, I, I know this strategy gets mentioned often and it's a good one, but breaking uh, down reading into just, um, you know, small chunks. I, I don't actually do it to 10 pages out of a book. Uh, sadly, what I mostly end up reading is journal articles. But, I mean, when I was at my peak rate of, of kind of uh, learning, I think, when I was in my late 20s, it was just, you know, a half journal to one journal article a night. And then by the end of a calendar year, you've just racked up an enormous amount of, of you know, at least book knowledge. So,
0: I think, I think about that. I, how many physical therapists... And- PTs are trained uh, in school to understand you know the methods of articles and study articles and, and know take the value for it, what it's worth. Someone like you with your background in your late 20s reading an article. To a half article, to an article at night? Are you kidding me? Well, the
1: funny thing is, I will get home from Summit at ten thirty, and then I feel like I've just been coaching all day. And I wanted to do something intellectual, so I'd go at ten thirty at night and I'd read on. Drive—that's how it happens
0: Freaking drive! <laughs> I found that in the very beginning of my career, especially, and I had done an orthopedic residency to start. I found that I couldn't figure something out. Yeah. That drove me to go home and yeah. find th- find this article or Google it or, you know, right. get, dive deeper into research that I could find somehow, some way. I, I remember using my old Widener login for my library for the yeah. <laughs> library oh, yeah, yeah, before yeah, the yeah, year yeah. was out yeah. just to, to, to learn uh, as much as I could. So I think that, I mean, that, that, that sums it up right there, I think, you know, drive to want to do better, get better, um, you know, trust, uncomfortable. I mean, yep. there's so many themes in this. Um, so let's tell, please, share with our listeners. How to, how to best get in touch with you.
1: Yes. So um, you can find me on social media, uh, Ken Clarkspeed on Twitter and Instagram. And then I'm proud to say that um, as of last week, a website launched as well. KenClarkspeed.com with okay. one of our mutual friends, MOD, uh, helped me uh, launch the website. So yeah, KenClarkspeed.com is is up and going. So, that is awesome.
0: So, so what can uh, our listeners uh, find on that website?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a resource for a lot of different things, speed and performance related. Um, but basically, uh, if they want educational consultation or training consultation uh, with me, that, that there's some information there about that. There's um, links to some of the other podcasts I've done. Of course, this will join that list uh, and um, some of the publications and then um, some uh, other, I guess you would say, uh, educational content as far as social media goes and that sort of thing. So kind of a... A housing platform for everything that's going on so
0: that that is uh genuinely one of the best things exciting, i've ever yeah, heard i'm that, pretty
1: i'm pretty pumped about it
0: as you should be yeah. and and uh you have you had the the experience. You've done the research. Uh, you care more than anything else. So this has been an Fun absolute stuff. pleasure. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a like we're just hanging out talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got anything else to add? Pleasure. What, what No, no. Say?
1: Again, just thanks for having me on. You guys are doing great stuff uh, here. It's it's just been a pleasure uh, working with you, Mike, specifically over the last two years, and then even more so now that you're in your your new facility, which is beautiful for all the listeners. Uh, if you want a very biased opinion, I'll tell you, this place is, is incredible from the inside. And um, so, no, no, it's just, uh, this has been great. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. If you'd like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review so more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.